Welcome back to LP Parsha Podcast, your weekly Torah portion podcast. Each week we'll do a light dive into this week's Parsha. We'll zoom in on a passage that catches our eye, and then we'll connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. This week's Torah portion is Beha And as always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and as always, I'm joined by Aaron Rotenberg. Nice to be back with you, Paul. Nice to be with you, too. We're recording this right after Shavuos. How was your Shavuot, Aaron? Mm. I want to say revelatory, but really, I was just at home sick. So <gasps> you missed, missed the all-night Shavuot? I mean... I missed it. Yeah. I was hoping you'd have some, uh, you know, for those of you who are didn't spend your whole lives with me and Aaron, which probably is the majority of you. Um, you know, we historically used to go to the downtown Miles and Dow Jewish Community Center. It's Bedan and Bloor for the all night Tikkun Lel Shavuot. Um, and Aaron's always been involved, but for some years I was involved and I haven't been involved the last few years, but we would stay up all night in these different sessions, usually 30 minutes an hour studying Torah. Um, it was always an adventure. It was such and a, a very intense thing to do. I, by the end, I was always like, oh my gosh, this is a bit nuts. It is nuts. Like I, uh, I remember in high school, we had something, well, I didn't go to Jewish high school, but I remember in high school, they'd have this like stay up all night fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is some sort of like uh, human interest, I think, in staying up late. Uh, and because Shavuot is the yeah. holiday celebrating the receiving of the Torah, it makes sense that we stay, stay up all night um, studying and eating dairy-based foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a midrash that the children of Israel went to sleep before receiving the Torah. And in order to do a tikkun, to fix that mistake of our ancestors, we don't sleep at all. Say, so, oh, they fell asleep, but we're going to be awake to receive all of the Torah that we can. But as I was saying, I slept through it. So I, following the tradition of those initial ancestors, uh, got a good rest. And that was good, too. Of course, it's important to rest when you're sick, which will be something that will come up in this Parsha. But mm-hmm. another Midrash that is similar to that one that someone said to me uh, mm-hmm. probably at this event was that because this is when we receive the Torah mm-hmm. uh, and for those who aren't aware there's the regular Torah the five books of Moses and the mm-hmm. oral Torah that God told Moses and Moses dispelled over time which is more the rabbinic detailed law that we uh, is emblematic of rabbinic Judaism mm-hmm. um, one of those things is we don't eat meat with dairy. Um, so apparently the Midrash I heard, or maybe this is a, a, I don't know if it's in the real Midrash or it's someone making this up that everyone eats dairy on Shavuot because they knew they couldn't eat meat with dairy anymore. So they had to like get as much dairy as they could out of their system to like uh, try to ha- enjoy this thing before this dietary restriction would come in. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I like that things are a little bit unclear of why they're happening. We come up with all these like fantastic reasons and stories and they just like uh, become, there's more and more of them and they 
branch out. It feels like I feel that a little bit around Shavuot. There's not actually much material or information about it in the Torah, right? In the text itself, it's like, oh, you count these seven weeks after the barley harvest or the wheat harvest. And then there's like a festival, okay, very nice pilgrimage festival. That's it. It doesn't say anything about receiving the Torah. It doesn't say anything about having dairy. But there's these traditions that evolve and we come up with more reasons. And I feel like I like that about Judaism. The yeah, coloring in of facets. It's like uh, my unpopular take. That's not that unpopular. Like, we're always like, Judaism is one of the oldest religions, but I'm like, it's probably changed a lot since 3000 years ago. I feel like, you know, they weren't. Yeah. So like, there's, there's a lot happening. That's why sometimes when people anachronistically, like, um, mm-hmm. I know that some like Christian groups want to be like Jews because they think they'll be closer to Jesus. I'm like, he wasn't really doing this specific type of rabbinic Judaism we're doing. So like happy for you, but it's not quite accurate, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Somebody, was saying on Shabbat, pointing at that rabbinic Judaism, which really is the Judaism that we practice, not Israelite biblical uh, cultic practices that we're reading about in the Torah and the Tanakh, basically co-evolved and co-emerged with Christianity like at around the same time. So, like, okay, Jesus was doing something, but then what came after Jesus? Like, so the people that define themselves as Christians, started doing one thing. And in the same milieu, the people that were defining themselves as rabbinic Jews were, you know, you know, bumping up against Christians and doing various things. And they were emerging at the same time in relationship to one another. Yeah, exactly. Almost like that. The codification was happening around that the same time. So, uh, Mm -hmm. You know, as much as it's great to... Everyone always wants to be the oldest of everything, right? Like, the oldest, long-standing synagogue in a small town in Ontario is in Owen Sound. So, like, everyone needs to... That's true. Um, (laughs) Everyone needs to be the oldest of something. So, I think just, like, we pride ourselves on being an older religion. But there's aspects to it that are... You know, like I said to people, like, Kabbalah Shabbat is only 600 years old or so. So, like, it's it's not like uh, the rabbis of the Talmud were singing song well they may would have been singing but not that specifically not those specific tunes <clears throat> so why don't we get into but, this week one minute summary i think you're on but you also sound a little hoarse i don't know if you want me to take it on um <laughs> i am a bit hoarse uh i can if i'm on i should do it you're on so let's hear your one minute summary of so we start by hearing some information about how Aaron's supposed to light the menorah. We learn about how the Levites are supposed to be consecrated. Basically, we're tying up some of these like final consecration of the tabernacle pieces, and we transition into uh, the wanderings that the people will have in the desert. And we find out that they've been hanging around Mount Sinai for the last three days, and now we're ready to kick off and go out into the rest of the wanderings ahead, maybe even to get into the Holy Land. And we start 
uh, the people of Israel start complaining about various things. First, about something unspecific. There's a fire that breaks out. Moses is like, ah, save the people. And the people are like, oh, well, really what we want is meat and not this manna. And then God's very upset and gives them too much quail. That doesn't go so well either. And so Moses tries to get get Yithro, uh, Yitro, Jethro, his father-in-law, to stay with them. And they don't. We hear about how the ark goes out from the camp and leads them in the way. Uh, and is there anything else? Oh, and then God lets 70 elders get prophecy, uh, not just Moses, and Miriam and Aaron say the Shadhara about Moses. That's a good pocket summary. I've re, uh, redefined these as pocket summaries, not one-minute summaries, because I just... Okay. I don't want to give me a few, few extra seconds to get it all in. But, uh, you know, you did not cover the thing I wanted us to talk about today. Which oh, is no. Because we can dive into it. Well, that's okay. I think that's good to, for us to, like, paint some of the the broad strokes and we can focus on something something else. What, exactly. what comes up for you? You'll recall, you know, we, we do a light dive, but then zone in. So we're doing yeah. just that. Yeah, that was a dive. So let's zoom in, if you will, um, to quote a very popular video messaging tool, um, to chapter 12, verse 13. Um, I always feel good because I'm like, this is too obvious. Everyone will know this line. I'm like, no, I'm like, no they won't. Like, we're obviously more kind of... This is related to the last piece I got in. The last piece you got in? Uh, well... I said, or maybe we can set this up a little bit more before we see the verse, uh, that Moses and Aaron said Lashon Hara, which is like said something, it literally, it's a Hebrew phrase. It's not exactly what it says in the Torah. It's a more contemporary phrase. That they said some uh, bad speech, said something a bit negative about Moses. Really, they said something about Moses' Kushite wife, whatever that means exactly. And God is like, that is my friend Moses you're talking about and punishes for some reason only Miriam with this white affliction, Sarat thing. And Moses has something to say on Miriam's behalf. He has something to read. Let's find out what that thing that he says is. Uh, do we want to go to? Uh, yeah, let's just chapter twelve, verse thirteen. We don't need to do the before the after. We can just do that. I think that it's such a powerful line that I think moves a lot of people who are, you know, Torah, Torah yeah. nerds like ourselves. Right? You want to do the Hebrew, then I'll do the English. Sure. You said verse thirteen. Mm-hmm. Chapter twelve, verse thirteen. Vaitzak Moshe El Adonai Lemor Elna Refana La. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, I beseech you, God, please heal her from hmm. as well as our summary. If I were to do it, it would have been but you did it, so thought Ramirez. But this is a very powerful line. I've heard this line talked about 
a lot in synagogue. Um, the phrase I hear about this often is, this is the shortest Jewish prayer of, um, what's a prayer where you request things? There's a word for it, isn't there? Where you request things. Prayer, the word uh, that comes to mind is bakashot, which are literally requests. But maybe... A bakashot, that makes sense. It also reminds you like a Misha Bera, where you like pray for, which is the terminology for prayers for healing often. I'm glad you bring up the Misha Bera. That is a very kind of organic dovetail too. You know, just to first kind of rest on the line a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this is sort of like a beautiful, just short. And it's actually, I don't know if there's any Midrashim or study about this, but even the lines are very pleasingly written. What is it? Mm-hmm. El na rifa na la. It almost sounds mm-hmm. kind of more Aramaic than Hebrew because it has that lovely ah sound constantly. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's intentional, but I just think the syllabic nature of that prayer is very uh, poetic to listen to, even. Yeah, it is very auditory. It makes a good chant. It feels, you can't really get into it. I feel like, are there songs based on this? I feel like there must be songs yeah. based on the line. I, it almost like it's somewhere in my visceral memory, you know, on the forward note a lot. Yeah, like I do often, or like, like most often encounter it in like heal, healing prayers and parts of the service. It also comes up maybe in more context where you and I have been together, Paul. It's a line in Yedid Nefesh when we're talking about Kabbalah Shabbat. Oh. They're, Anyway, that snippet does come up from there. I did not know. You know, that's funny, those things that you just know in your muscle memory, but I must... Uh (laughs) Yeah, I definitely love that part of the melody. Like Kabbalah Chabon in general, I just don't really much more memorize because it's very... It's it's more commonly taught to more music than just like something like Shacharit where we bumble a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, have to change that about Shacharit. But uh, yeah, yeah, right. I feel like it does. It's this very succinct prayer, and we like I think don't get many prayer like uh, a lot of. We're even mentioning it now. Like a lot of our contemporary Jewish life is in the synagogue, or if not in a literal synagogue, like in prayer or davening spaces but we don't get so many things that are prayers in that format in the torah so here it's like interesting to see moses praying on behalf of his sister so i do like that and you kind of started already speaking a little bit about misha Berach, which actually i've always wondered this just a kind of there's hatzikadish full kaddish mourner's kaddish Mishabera, like we think of that as the prayer for healing. Although, is there a broader term to what Mishabera is? Because I feel like it's, it feels like it's not always healing. Although I've never stopped to think about what's happening. Yeah, there are various kinds of Mishabera, which is just addressing that word. It's just kind of addressing the divine. May the one who blessed our ancestors and then it kind of goes on, grant blessings to 
and it could be so that we're talking about may the one who bless our ancestors also provide blessing for those who are ill and in need of healing. But there's also tradition to say a Misha Berach, a blessing for whoever uh, receives an Aliyah, for example, uh, whoever is called up to the Torah for the Torah reading of that day. So it's one of those things that, you know, we associated with the prayer for healing, but it, you're, like you said, I remember, um, I don't know if you remember this day, Aaron, I'm sure you do. You have a pretty good memory that I remember one time, you know, mm-hmm. I, I went on late in life birthright, which is, this is, it's now no longer exists. This is the last year it happened where you could be. Oh, really? 20, yeah. 27 to 32, which and now, now no they exists. cut it out. It's yeah. only 20 until 27. It's only to 26 now. 26. Uh, oh, yeah. So, but right. I was late in life birthright. So we had a reunion. I remember mm-hmm. maybe twice. Um, cause we were just a very well adjusted group that got along really well. And I remember we came to Anikshul, where Aaron is the spiritual leader. Um, and one of my friends in the group who grew up from, so she didn't really have a bat mitzvah. Like we had kind of a, remember we had like a spontaneous bat mitzvah where you mm. said a Misha Bera, mm. that used her name. And like that was kind of, because I think we missed, we missed the Eliot or something. There's some reason why we associate her name with the Misha Bera. And that was like her unofficial yeah. like mini bat mitzvah that moment. Yeah. And, I'm sorry, is shorthand for group kind of, traditional religious, um, maybe orthodox of a certain flavor. Yeah, I had forgotten about that, but that is nice that you bring up. And yeah, you also, I don't remember if we didn't call, I don't remember what the situation was exactly in this, in this case, but also when people are called up for a special honor, you might give them a special Misha Berach if they're having their B-mitzvah, uh, to use the gender-neutral term. Or if they're having an off roof about to get married, or there's like also various other occasions where you might want to give somebody a special blessing. And it's, I think it's always tied to the Torah reading in some, in some way. Like another kind of, uh, for those people who go to synagogue regularly, or even if you don't, one stick that I've always found funny, I know it's not a funny thing, but one thing I've always found funny about Mishabera, for those of you who've been to services where they do this, and maybe you do this too, Aaron, so I'm not making fun of anyone specific, because this is totally a logical thing to do. Um, of course, you can't see me, so I'm going to have to just describe what I'm doing. Where When the rabbi says, um, does anyone want to share a name for Misha Bera? And they put out their arm, and they very slowly move their arm across the room. The point being that if their arm is in your direction, you say a name for whom you wish healing. But uh, just me and my husband, James, always had this kind of, there's just so much happening in synagogue that's always like, and now Misha Bear. And you just have the arm out and a very slow tilt, like the slowest uh, water sprinkler, like one sprinkler you've ever seen. Um, so yeah, I know it totally makes sense from a arm perspective, but I, I just always find the kind of high energy and the pause and the slow arm movement, like it's almost like very Queen Elizabeth-ish, you know, is what I think of when I have that happen. I think it's great to change up the pacing. Have me some some fast moments, some slow moments. I definitely do that slow hand thing. <laughs> so you you now I'll always think of you, and you James you, laughing when I do it. <laughs> you gotta do it. Like I get why you gotta do it. You don't have a choice. Like um, unless you're one of those synagogues where you're like, I'll read from the list or say it in your heart. If you did not contribute mm-hmm. to the list beforehand, 
that person won't receive healing, um, which would be a, a dark thing indeed. But, you know, this brings begs another good question, which I'd love your perspective on as a rabbinic student. Mm-hmm. What is the point of prayers of healing? Do we think it's going to do something? Um, because that almost feels antithetical to kind of the modern era. Like, of course, well, maybe not, of course, of course, prayers don't do anything magical, but yet we can't help but do this. Like, what do you think is the purpose of a prayer for healing? I find it connective and powerful as somebody who is doing the praying. Right, so I understand you're asking more about does it do something for the person that is in need of healing? So I can't speak to that exactly. <clears throat> Not that people, maybe people also, I've experienced uplifts of energy from people praying on my behalf. But I think that just no, like keeping somebody in your consciousness like it does feel connective to me. And I know for myself that it like encourages me to reach out to that person or to ask people who I know, know that person. And it gives me the sense of like our community is more tethered and responsive to each other. Like I have a list of people's names that I say in my prayers every day and for me that does something like I it needn't to be about me but I think that like putting that energy forward and then people like giving me names of people because some people know that I do this they like give me names as well and like we start talking about each other and I feel like it creates networks and circles of care that's my experience of it more than like a magical, if you say this word, then this person will be healed. It's more just about letting people know that there's care and thoughts happening. That's kind of a really good point that, um, because obviously like in the tour portion here, it is somewhat magical. Like she's being healed, I think immediately, uh, Miriam. Well, uh, this is, it feels like a fun, we should read this next line, which is a little bit strange or but maybe also to your point but like things are not magically gonna get better because god responds to moses but moses says please heal her and then god says this like pretty not nice line to my reading maybe there's another way to understand it but if her father were to spit in her face would she not be humiliated for seven days so god's like no i'm not healing her she did something wrong seven days at least i mean she should be outside the camp i'm gonna obviously like the it's crude imagery but the one thing i will give god on this one is like i feel like he's describing viral shedding like she mm-hmm. we know when you you feel better but you might still be contagious like i mm-hmm. i feel like that's kind of what he's getting at like oh seven days is a good in, in, whatever the thing is where you kind of quarantine yourself. Like, I think this might be kind of like Torah science coming through a little bit. Um, and also kind of double back on your kind of logical point of what does the Mishabera for the sick do for the individual? Like, I guess we do know scientifically that 
loneliness is a public health concern. Mm-hmm. And if we're saying people's names, mm-hmm. then people are also maybe more likely to connect with that person, find that person. Um, yeah. We won't have time to talk about it today, but like that he had Bikor Cholim visiting the sick, which is a big part of um, Jewish practice and Jewish culture. Um, and like you said too, like just and alerting other people that this person needs visiting or healing or thoughts. And, you know, at least in a lot of the communities I've been involved in the last mm-hmm. 10 years, people bringing each other food, which I, I feel like I don't see in not, I'm, I'm sure it exists actually in all religious settings, but it's just something I specifically know about Jewish settings that like often when someone has a baby, people bring food to help ease the tiredness. But I just can imagine people also like bringing things around when people are sick and visiting them when they're sick. So there is this sort of very pr- just the same way I was thinking today. I was like, why don't people go to synagogue? Like, it's not just about the prayer. It's just a reason to see people. So like, of course, praying for the people, yeah. you feel good because it's, it's relieving, but it's also creating a social, like Judaism to me, maybe I'm biased, very logical religion. It's a social mechanism to do a thing. Like, okay, everybody heads up. Like this mm-hmm. person needs help. Like now you've all heard it together. You know, I think Mourner's Cottage does something similar again, depending on your tradition of it's kind of anonymous or not in a way. Um, yeah, I think there are lots of different social and spiritual levels that Jewish practices is, is working on. And like, I just also want to say that I think healing, right? We think about healing and we're talking about healing in terms of physical and maybe even mental health. And I also think that healing and the yearning and quest and intention around healing is like the primary, yeah, maybe even the primary focus of Judaism, religious or spiritual life to me. But I understand that term widely. And I think that it is what we're searching for, right? Also, when we're going to shul, we're like looking for healing when we are sick and people come and offer us food when we provide food it all is like connected to healing and becoming our most whole selves and to be more connected with each other which is the same thing as being more connected to god and our planet and all these levels of uh, connection and wholeness that we aspire and reach out to and towards i think that's really beautiful it's a nice inversion of that Lisa Loeb line from Stay, Lisa Loeb, very famous Jewish singer. She's, you know, she has a line in her song, you're dying since the day you were born, but instead you phrase it as life is healing. You're healing each day from your birth. So I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, if I were to name this episode, it'd be kind of like that life is healing, you know, it's not mm-hmm. dying the same. Um, so I think that we've yes. kind of like really looked into a lot of really deep things in this session where we looked at, Kind of one of the shortest prayer for healing in the Torah, and it connected back to the Mishaber of Jewish practice. Touched briefly on Bikur Holim, and kind of how all community building is not just spiritual, but it's a process of healing. So I think that kind of nicely summarizes what we've been talking about today. A lovely summary. So nice talking with you about healing, Paul. Absolutely. This is, as always, this has been Paul, one of your co-hosts, and this is Aaron. <laughs>